Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 123rd ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Rebel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm great. How are you, Cameron? I'm doing well. Yes? What, I can't, I can adjust my mic? Oh, yeah, go ahead. You just really look like you're ready to say something. I actually was going to. Yeah, that's right. What happens when we get to like over a thousand episodes? Like, are Ooh. you going to be like, thank you for listening to the 1,725th ever episode? Of- that sounds like exactly what will happen. Man, can't wait. Yeah. Till then. We'll have to see, we'll see what happens. That's, that's a ways yeah, we'll away. That but we'll we'll, we'll get, there. get there. Anyway, yeah. have at it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kyle, we got a lot to talk about. What's new? Um, I was kind of excited to just talk basketball, you know, for the first time in a long time. Because football season's over, what could we possibly have to talk about? Football season's never over. Apparently so. Um, what's, the th- what's the saying? Football never stops. Football never sleeps. It never sleeps. Yeah. <laughs> Coach Drinkwitz <laughs> never sleeps. Because the first thing we're going to talk about is he's been hard at work recruiting, and he landed a big one. Mm. Not a traditional recruit. This is a transfer from Ohio State. And it's Mookie Cooper. You've heard about it. You've seen it. You probably watched his, re- refreshed your memory on his uh, game film a little bit. But we're going to talk about him because he is the 10th highest recruit all time in Mizzou history, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite Rating. Now that's as he was recruited out of high school to Ohio State. But still, number 10 all time. This is... A huge get for the football team and uh, changes the outlook for the offense for the next few years yeah whenever we heard that Mookie Cooper was transferring from Ohio State it definitely seemed like Missouri was kind of a match made in heaven with him getting to come back home and be close to family and I think we've seen uh, what a Mizzou offense could look like in the future uh, what offensive threat would not want to play in a coach Drinkwood's offense I kind of see him in maybe a little bit of the Jalen Knox role where he's just kind of used in a lot of different ways, maybe on some jet sweeps and, I mean, short pass, long pass. I feel like J- Jalen Knox is kind of a, I don't know, all-purpose uh, offensive player in a way. So I, I definitely see Cooper kind of being in that same mold. Um, but he's clearly probably one of the more talented players to be on Mizzou squad in, in a while so I wish it was cool to commit to Mizzou out of high school but we'll still take him we'll t- it seems like we always uh, get those big talents after they've spent you know a couple of years elsewhere and decided they want to come back home but we'll we'll still take him yeah and uh, he still has four years of, of eligibility so it pretty much is like getting him out of high school yeah uh, I didn't play at all at Ohio State um, was kind of buried on the depth chart which that's normal I mean freshmen don't usually play that much Especially at Ohio State, I would exactly. assume. Exactly, yeah. Uh, they've had pretty good teams as of late. Um, taking you back to his high school recruitment, so he was a four-star, uh, number four in the state of Missouri for the 2020 class. This class was not uh, your normal state of Missouri class. Uh, this one included Dante Manning, Jordan Johnson, and Antonio Doyle, who were all ranked ahead of Mookie Cooper and you know, like, all of them would have been top five all-time uh, Mizzou recruits. So being number four in the state doesn't usually come with as high of a, of a rating 
as it does in the 2020 class. That class was just kind of special. And it was a huge swing and a miss for Barry Odom at the time, just coming up empty on all those top guys. So another uh, example of Coach Drinkwitz doing something that Barry Odom couldn't do. Yeah, and we, we've talked a lot about um, the domino effect of recruiting and uh, kind of opening the floodgates, if you will, um, to certain areas of, of Missouri or the country. And uh, obviously St. Louis has been, or in really Kansas City too, those have been barriers to Mizzou over the last, you know, 10 years or maybe longer, some would argue. It, it just has not been a real friendly uh, connection. And we kind of felt like Barry Odom made some progress there but still just wasn't getting it done. But Coach Drinkwood says completely opened those floodgates and all kinds of talent has been flocking to Mizzou recently. And I, I think this will, you know, continue to, to be that way for a while. With When, when recruits see guys they look up to um, and, you know, a few years older than them or something like that, like Mookie Cooper going to Mizzou, that's just that's just a huge deal for for future classes. Yeah, yeah I've read that he is incredibly well-liked and respected in st louis football community so that helps a lot um i wouldn't do this for any recruit but i i had to i mean not i would say that probably two recruits a decade that missouri lands have a written out uh (laughs) recruiting analysis on 24 7 sports so i want to read this one to you kyle uh this is from alan triu of 24 7 sports he says of Mookie Cooper, stocky, solidly built, not a tall prospect, but has the muscle base to enter college ready to compete, explosive player with excellent burst and good long speed, elusive as well, and can make defenders miss without slowing down, excellent pass catcher, good route runner, and explosiveness allows him to create separation as he has worked hard on that part of his game. Catches the ball in traffic, strong and physical as a blocker, has no real glaring weaknesses, just needs to keep refining his routes. Height could limit his upside, but he is going to be a dynamic weapon who can be used in a variety of ways on offense, has the necessary profile to be an instant impact guy in college, and an early to mid-round draft choice. Wow. You don't you don't hear that about Mizzou wide receivers very often, uh, recruits, um, but I, I definitely, I think that Mookie Cooper has a better chance to be an immediate difference maker than Dominic Lovett probably, but... Uh, I could see either one of these guys being maybe punt returners, um, just dynamic playmakers that we have to get on the field, but yeah. it's it's exciting. And the last thing I want to say about that write-up was there was a player comparison, and the player that they named as a comp for Mookie Cooper is Curtis Samuel. Mm. Uh, interestingly, this was written before uh, Cooper committed to Ohio State. Curtis Samuel went to Ohio State. Now he's with the Carolina Panthers. And he's and good. He was a running back in college, is a wide receiver in the NFL, but lines up in the backfield sometimes, uh, gets those end-around sweeps and stuff like that, so makes a lot of sense. Uh, I saw another player comparison from uh, kind of a Midwest analyst recruiting guy. I think his name is Mike Mike Farrell or Mike Farrell. He, uh, he compared Mookie Cooper to Rondell Moore, which is would be really exciting. So yeah. Rondell Moore being a guy who was instantly impactful at Purdue as a – I mean, as a freshman, he yeah. was incredible. Yeah, that was the type of guy where you just try to get him the ball every single play yeah. as much as possible. Um, I was Obviously, this is super exciting. You mentioned Dominic Lovett, uh, who will be here next year. 
Um, we talked, I think, last week about Kiki Chisholm's decision to come back for another season. So I wrote down just a quick list of the receivers that are going to be ready and available to play next season. We've got Kiki Chisholm, uh, Towski Dove, Jalen Knox, Barrett Bannister, Mookie Cooper, Dominic Lovett, Chance Looper, and J.J. Hester. Uh, as uh, the short list off the top of my head that, I mean, that's a really solid group. That is. That's an exciting group. I mean, just it's balanced. You've got kind of your longer possession type receivers like Kiki Chisholm or Antowski Dove, and then you have quicker, you know, maybe maybe like bigger playmaker type guys with with Mookie Cooper and Dominic Lovett, Jalen Knox. It's it's crazy the just the balance and everybody kind of brings something different, and I think that's a great thing. And balance of classes too. I mean, you're not looking at a you know senior loaded class that's just going to drop off in the next few years now i mean if we're lucky we're looking at a situation where we've got one or two guys maybe leaving early i mean fingers crossed we can get to that point um i'll take anybody having a good enough season to where they can go pro early Mm. um as much as it hurts in the moment when they leave it usually means they did something really good so i think just like two or three weeks ago we talked about the wide receiver group kind of being a question mark for next season and the questions have been answered for the most part, at least as much as they could possibly be, and then some in the off season. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got to see the results on the field, but you can't ask for a better situation at this point. I agree, and uh, I mentioned this on Twitter, um, and I'm not sure what what they'll look at as far as adding transfers. Um, you know, and whatever happens has to happen pretty quickly. Um, to be able to be eligible for this upcoming season with transfers and all that stuff. So we will probably know, honestly, like within the next month, what, what next year's team is going to look like. I mean, I don't know that we'll add very many people after February's over, but uh, a familiar name you may remember is Jafar Armstrong. He's a guy that was uh, from Kansas City and originally committed to Mizzou out of high school three or four recruiting cycles ago and then flipped to, Nor- to uh, Notre Dame like a couple days before signing day. He is in the transfer portal, and I, he has one or two years of eligibility remaining. So wouldn't shock me if he wanted to come back home and potentially play for Mizzou as well. And he would probably be a wide receiver, running back, just some kind of offensive threat as well. So that's just a name to uh, to keep in mind. I'll take him. <laughs> I would. Up. I would. Yeah. Uh, so the next piece of news that I have here is bad news, good news. Who knows? Uh, it'll be, we'll know shortly whether, yeah, it's definitely big. Um, we'll know in a little bit, uh, a little bit later, whether this is going to be a problem or not. I think, um, Ryan Walters has left his position as Missouri's defensive coordinator to take the same position at Illinois under Brett Bielema, new Illinois head coach. And, uh, since I'm reading things this episode i might as well read uh ryan walter's statement on leaving missouri to take over at at illinois he said i'm thankful and grateful for the opportunity that coach bielema is giving me to coach with him at the university of illinois coach b is one of the most respected defensive minds in college football and as a young defensive coordinator this is an opportunity i can't pass up coach b has a proven track record of incredible success in the big 10 as well as his years working in the nfl that will put our program in position to win at a high level I appreciate the time and opportunity that I had at Missouri, but my family and I are looking forward to the new challenge in front of us as we build 
a championship football program. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, I have some thoughts on this. Uh-huh. Um, I, we, we've known that Ryan Walters, it's a pretty good chance he would not be at Missouri next year. And there's a lot of different ways you could look at it, that you could look at it from – uh, from his perspective, you could look at it from Coach Drinkwood's perspective. Uh, you could even look at it as maybe he's a rising uh, star in the industry and could even take a better job, which I thought could happen. Uh, Mizzou's defense was not great this year. I think they were a little bit disappointing overall, but I definitely still thought as a young up-and-comer, a, a talented guy, I thought he could he could – maybe go up the ranks i think that you could probably consider this a lateral move or maybe even a step down um and so i you know that was a question i saw a lot on twitter was like why why would he take this job and well there's a lot of reasons and uh, i guess right off the bat is ryan walters was not a coach drinkwitz hire and so obviously i think it's great that coach drinkwitz retained ryan walters and it created some consistency kind of between the coaching staffs and with the players and recruits and uh, they were able to kind of maintain that same scheme on defense. And th- we had a lot of good players that, you know, we wanted them to just play their last year in mm-hmm. the scheme that they were familiar with. And so I thought that was a great decision to retain him. But at the same time, long term, it's not as it's not his guy. And um, it's perfectly reasonable for Ryan Walters to think, I've got one here. I've got one more year here. Let's do what we can. And then I probably need to start over, find a new situation, and uh, kind of start over. And, you know, the there was a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of good players. The defense was a little disappointing. I'm not sure his seat was hot, but I don't think that Mizzou or Coach Drinkwitz is, to, is one, they're not unprepared, and right. two, I don't think they're terribly disappointed right. with Ryan Walters wanting to move on. Yeah, I don't think they were desperate to, to keep him. And I think uh, what you're saying I think is exactly right about um, it just kind of helping to set Coach Drinkwitz up for more success than maybe would otherwise be there in your first season as head coach, bringing over that continuity on defense, not having to start from scratch there uh, with the players that you have. I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe I could see a line of thinking that's like this will buy you a win or two in your first season, just you know, where you don't want to just completely flop even though expectations are low. So um, with as successful as the season ended up being, um, I don't think, I think maybe there was a more comfort um, from Drinkwit's side to be able to say like, okay, I've shown I can win here. Um, so now let me kind of do my thing and mm-hmm. uh, build a staff that's really exactly how I want it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it was uh, it took a lot of common sense for him to just look at the situation last year and say this makes a lot of sense to retain some of the defensive staff and then maybe we'll we'll look to kind of build how I want to do it in the future in a year or two, and it's really uncommon um, for for I feel like head coaches to retain an entire mm-hmm. uh, defensive staff or, or offensive staff whenever they come in and. Uh, I don't know if that's kind of an ego thing or just kind of wanting to totally purge uh, right. the, the the former regime or whatever. But I felt like that was that was I don't know kind of honorable almost from Coach Drinkwitz and just took a lot of common sense to yeah. just think say hey I think this will help us out in the right. in the short term and maybe the long term. Yeah, and yeah, obviously 
uh, it doesn't seem like Ryan Walters was going to be fired. Um, but at the same time, it seems from the outside looking in that everybody involved was pretty much okay with him yeah. looking at other opportunities. Yeah. Uh, he's been at Mizzou for a while now. I think he, he's been in kind of a coordinator position for two or three seasons now, and he was here at Mizzou before that too um, as like the safeties coach. So it, it's, it's really almost uncommon that uh, kind of an up-and-comer in the industry stays in any role very long unless they're like a head coach or something like that there's just, that's just this business there's a lot of short-term stuff and people move around a lot and as they should people yeah. find better opportunities and yeah you just you don't see that like uh gary pinkle dave steckle no like com you know head coach coordinator com combination very often i mean you look at like one of the biggest outliers in college football today is um clemson oh, yeah. with both of their coordinators just like well, they've got, you know, um, defensive coordinator uh, Venables and then two mm -hmm. offensive coordinators mm -hmm. that just seem totally fine with just sticking around. Obviously, Clemson pays them quite well. And they uh, win a lot. And, and they win. Venables' son literally plays on the team. Yeah. So that's definitely just a unique situation where right. how are those guys not head coaches? Like all three of them probably could be head coaches if they wanted to be. Right. Um, but, yeah, you just don't see coordinators um, – and position coaches stick around quite like you used to see. Um, and maybe we're just not in tune with that because we did get um, Gary Pinkle and Dave Steckle for so long. I mean, there were some different offensive coordinators here and there during the Pinkle years. Yeah. So that means uh, this coaching staff has a, has a spot to fill. Yeah. And that means we have a coaching search on our hands. <laughs> We've joked before that like uh, coaching search content is some of the best you can ever ask for. Head coaching, that's for sure. Yes. Uh, I'm glad we don't have a head coaching search situation. Oh, man. But we can have a little bit of fun with a defensive coordinator coaching search. Yeah, I mean, that's still, that's still a big deal. We want to know what the future of the defense is going to look like. And typically, a coordinator is in a program for at least a few seasons, two or three at the, at the minimum, usually. So uh, the way I see it, there's three ways Missouri can go. They can hire a former head coach that probably got fired and is looking to you know restart things, a la Barry Odom at Arkansas. Uh, an up-and-coming coordinator poached somebody from a lower level um, of college football or hire from within. Um, without naming names, rank those three as far as likelihood what do you think is the most likely second and least likely of those three scenarios um the like the most likely mm -hmm. can you can you say two and three again yeah, yeah. an up-and-coming coordinator that you poach from a lower level school okay and then the third one is hiring from within promoting from within okay i would say uh the most likely is an up-and-comer from a smaller school and then I don't know. I would probably say in this specific situation, I would say a hiring from within is second most likely, and then third would be a head coach that got fired or whatever. It seems like the up-and-coming coordinator spot blows the other two away. It, it, as far it as just seems the most – not only does it seem likely, it just seems like it would be the best mm -hmm. choice in this scenario. I think uh, – well, probably a lot of head coaches are this way, but I, I definitely feel like Coach Drinkwitz is uh, – uh, do it my way kind of guy which is totally fine but and he's got a little bit of an attitude again which is totally fine 
but Especially I'm, when you're winning. I don't want, I don't think he would want like a Derek Mason necessarily or a guy that's used to being in charge to come in. Yeah. I think he would rather somebody who's more willing to just kind of go with what the head coach is doing. Counterpoint, uh, Nick Saban, I don't, I don't think many people would say that he, I would say people think that he is very, uh, I'm going to do things my way and you're going to mm-hmm. fall in line or... I don't want you here. Yeah. And he's had quite a bit of success of turning former head coaches into his coordinators and then they bounce to another head coaching position. Um, yeah. Steve Sarkeesian just yeah. got the Texas head coaching spot uh, after being offensive coordinator at Alabama um, and previously being a head coach at Washington and USC. That is true. I do believe Nick Saban is the most CEO like coach you could probably find out there. I think. Coach Jinkwitz, it's a little bit more in the weeds probably than Nick Saban is as far as the the, the day-to-day stuff sure. goes in their organization, if yeah. you want to call it that, because, I mean, Coach is literally calling the offensive plays. Right. So I, I think that Coach has a desire to be in control probably even more so than most coaches, but, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, it's not it, – head coaches are head coaches want to be in control. Yeah. So Nick Saban's a bit of an outlier in any kind of comparison, but – Probably. Um, well, you mentioned Derek Mason. And he's the first guy that popped into my mind as just like a hot name. Oh, yeah. That uh, obviously a great great coordinator. Yes. Um, Another guy that jumped immediately into my mind was Will Muschamp. And he's the guy that really made me have that thought where I'm like, I don't know that Will Muschamp would be a fit here. Like, I think he's he's kind of the guy where I just I'm not I don't know that he would he would mesh like knowing that he kind of has to be under someone else. Yeah. He was he was successful um, previously as a defensive coordinator at Auburn, and that was before he was a head coach, right? And um, was he DC at Texas as well? Florida, I believe. Or was he the he was the head, head coach, coach at Florida, Florida for a little bit? Yeah, I, I think maybe he was at Texas before. You might be right. The SEC. I can't remember off the top of my head. Speaking of Texas, they supposedly reached out to Muschamp, and he said no thanks. I believe they may have been flirting with Barry Odom a little bit too, and he apparently has made an announcement that he's staying in Arkansas. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. Yeah. Um. So, Muschamp not on the table uh, for Missouri, and I agree that that would be a weird fit. Um. You know, just another. He need. I feel like. I obviously I know nothing about him personally, but it just seems like through the. From an outsider's perspective, looking at the trajectory of his career, Will Muschamp needs to go be, try to be head coach at like, I don't know. He needs to do the Hugh Freeze thing. Like go. I don't think he even has to go that low. Okay. Because I don't think he's like so disgraced as a coach that he has to like go to Liberty. What? <laughs> but um, I'm thinking like he could get a, a different power five level job. I'm thinking of something like, I don't know, who's a, who's a bad team in the, Pac-12, like a like he, Oregon State. Yeah, like he. I feel like if anybody knows anything about Oregon State, they're, they're like, oh, we're actually good. <laughs> like, <laughs> obviously, like no, like the, yeah, they're probably like in like, the playoff, and yeah, I didn't even like, know. Like name a school that Mizzou fans know the least about, and then we'll, we'll that was be just in the clear. That, exactly. That was just a random Pac-12. I was thinking Oregon school. State too, though. Oh, like I, that's terrible. We're getting really in the weeds on um, Will Muschamp here. Yeah. Talk to me about Derek Mason. I actually like it. I think, it, yeah. you know, do you think there's, do they kick the tires there at all? Do you think they try to interview him or anything? Or do you sure. think he's just, you know, got his sights set on something bigger? No, I, I absolutely think if you, if you can try and 
get something going with Derek Mason. You you definitely want that action for sure. He's a great coordinator. He's he doesn't seem to be as much of a like crazy personality where he's got a you know a control freak kind of personality that I think would would clash. Uh, but I think that he's going to most likely end up at Auburn. Mm. So yeah. But I would I take Derek Mason? Of course, absolutely. Yeah. We, speaking of Auburn, you were mentioning uh, before we started recording that Missouri actually has quite a bit of competition here yeah. as far as defensive coordinators go. Yeah, I wrote down every single like Power 5 school that has a defensive coordinator position open right now because I, I was kind of thinking, well, uh, Derek Mason's probably off the board to Auburn, but you know Missouri's got to be up there with the next couple of schools as far as pre, you know program prestige or whatever. And I but I started looking around. And I'm like, well, there's actually more uh, yeah. competition than I realized. These are the other programs that are currently looking for defensive coordinators. Uh, LSU, Texas, Michigan, Boise State, Indiana, Notre Dame, South Carolina, Purdue, and Vanderbilt. So a little more competition than I was thinking off the top of my head. Oh, by the way, speaking of South Carolina and our boy, oh yeah, Mike Bobo. He's staying in the SEC. He's headed to Auburn to be their new offensive coordinator. And Do we play them next year? No, I don't, okay. I don't think so. I hope not. And uh, South Carolina's offensive line coach, his name is Will Friend. He's not much of a friend to South Carolina. Uh, he's been on the job for a month, and he's headed to, uh, to Auburn as well to be their offensive line coach. So, And he came from Tennessee, so it's just that Knoxville yeah. behavior. Easy come, easy go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got, I just tallied four programs that you just listed that are a better spot than Missouri. Yeah. And then three more that are kind of right in the same level. Yeah. So, so much for 2020 season being like a year where there wouldn't be much coaching yeah. turnover. Yeah, yeah that's, that was that was very naive of us to think that was a possibility. <laughs> These ads don't care about. They COVID. do not care. They want wins. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. So let's look at some more realistic uh, candidates, maybe, um, and hopefully leave like a random name that like we have to look up real quick for last because that's how we nailed the Eli Drinkwitz hire. <laughs> In our coaching search, that is exactly episode. right. Yeah, we we lifted off we listed off like ten names, and I was like, "How about that? Uh, how, how about that Appalachian State coach?" And you're like, "Alia Drink." You looked it up, yeah, yeah. Alia Drinkwitz. Yeah. So we like never heard of him. We're like, "Ah, probably not." <laughs> and then the next episode, we were announcing him as the. Yep. They announced him we as announced the coach. To we, the world. We, yeah, we broke the news. All right, so I've got a name here, uh, David Reeves, UAB defensive coordinator. Um, let me just run down a list here and then you pick anybody that you want to talk about. So in that group of like up and coming coordinators from a group of five schools, we've got David Reeves, UAB defensive coordinator, Scott Simons, Liberty defensive coordinator, uh, Chad Staggs, Coastal Carolina defensive coordinator. And that's it. Uh, I would, I will mention, uh, Kevin Steele was the Auburn defensive coordinator that was uh, let go and then uh and was potentially rumored that he might be promoted to their head coach and that caused an, a massive debacle. oh yeah we talked about that and i was a like that's massive never auburn debacle and then uh, you had me add to the list clayton white western kentucky defensive coordinator mm. yeah I, I feel like all these guys i think i would probably be satisfied with with any of these names but obviously um i think uh david reeves from uab really stands out um, they basically had to build that program from the ground up. I mean, they li- I think they literally 
had to get rid of the program for a couple of years or something. Well, they're back. And uh, like the last three years, they've had like a top 10 defense. And considering where they've come from in the last, you know, five-ish years, it's it's insane uh, how good UAB has been, uh, especially on defense. So he's somebody who is, he's not very young, but he is still kind of like an up-and-comer, in the, I guess. And uh, it has shown that he can do it. He, he's shown that he can do it at an improbable place, and he's they've done it for several years now, so they, he has the longevity to go along with it. But uh, so he would probably be a lot of a lot of fans' first choice, and that's completely reasonable. Um, and then another guy that I think would probably be at the top of the list is Chad Staggs, and he's currently at Coastal Carolina. Um, and he he coached in the Sun Belt, uh, obviously last year when Drink was there. So they they obviously are, know each other; they're aware of one another could be kind of a connection there uh clayton white was the Broyles award nominee for 2020 yeah actually uh three of his last four seasons at western kentucky he has been a Broyles award nominee which is the best assistant coach in the country mm-hmm. so that's pretty big deal um then let's talk about david gibbs because he would be the guy if uh missouri was to turn inward and um promote from within it would be david gibbs currently coaching the cornerbacks yeah david gibbs definitely is somebody who's very experienced uh he's done everything everywhere uh i'm not sure that's the flash hire that a lot of fans would be super happy about but i don't think he would be a, a bad hire um let me list off a couple of the things he's done i gotcha he was a defensive coordinator at houston in 2013 and 14 and at texas tech from 2015 to 2018 is that where you were going with that yeah and then it just even earlier in his career he was the defensive coordinator at minnesota and auburn um pretty earlier on and then he spent a few years with uh, my kansas city chiefs as uh-huh. their db coach but i'm not sure our dbs were that great during uh 2006 2008 i can't remember well uh texas tech's not usually known for their uh <laughs> You know, daunting defense. It's either. true. What he did bring to the table, which I remember this was kind of a big deal at the time when he joined Mizzou, uh, he had a massive emphasis on turnovers. Apparently at Texas Tech, they were not a good defense, but they were well, consistently great at causing turnovers. And that was something that Barry Odom was so focused on was how do we create opportunities through turnovers? And so he hired David Gibbs. Yeah. And uh, Missouri was one of the worst teams in the country. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. And they did improve, but... I'm not sure to the extent that they that they uh, were going at at Texas yeah. Tech, but yeah, and not really quite what the hype would have Probably. had you believe, right? And I mean that's kind of a intangible kind of thing. I'm not really sure you can like, a lot of luck involved. Yeah, I agree. So you can probably improve your chances at, mm-hmm. at turnovers, but that's anyway. So D- David Gibbs I, would not be my first choice, but uh, I, I wouldn't be like super mad about it. You know who I want him to hire? Who do, who do you want to hire? Whoever is the best recruiter, honestly. Whoever's just going to bring in dudes. If you just bring them in, make sure you know what position they play, line them up, and see what they can do. I almost want... Is that crazy? I almost want the opposite. Just like, I don't even care how good at, your rec- at recruiting you are because Coach Drinkwitz has shown he's a good recruiter. And if you I can, want all the recruits. If you, are, can, if you can take these recruits and then make them good on game day i think i'd be more concerned with that because i see, I see so I many want them to start out good i see so many programs like 
I don't know, Tennessee is a great example yes. where they get all the talent in the world and still like are middle of the road. Like how, how do you take this talent and produce this result on the field? And I just don't want everyone Missouri to, to turn into that. But that's a good point. That's a good point. That's quite hyperbolic. Yeah. I don't know. I, lo- I just like this recruiting momentum that we have. I don't oh, want yeah. it to ever stop. It is exciting. And it seems like uh, some of these programs that are, I, I don't know, maybe it's foolish of me to uh, want Missouri to compete for some of these top guys, perhaps. But um, Lock these, down the borders. That's what you can, that's yeah. that's really what we can right. try. To, we, that's what we can aspire to do. If, he, if Drinkwitz really wants that to be the goal, I don't think he can put that in that entire recruiting burden on himself only yeah and uh i don't know maybe you can get the best of both worlds and get a solid x's and o's coach who can coach them up um no matter their ranking but also can contribute to bringing in a few top guys Mm -hmm. uh also one connection that i failed to mention about clayton white Mm -hmm. who's currently at western kentucky uh, he and Coach Drinkwitz coached together at NT State in 2016, so they probably know each other pretty well. So that might be something to keep an eye on as well. Who do you want them to hire? Uh, probably David Reeves or Chad Staggs. Those are probably my two. I, I would probably take those two guys um, over everybody else on on most of the hot lists. You think there's anything there uh, with Kevin Steele? I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not sure. There's as much of a connection there. Um, but certainly, again, kind of, I'm not sure it would be like a super flashy hire, but. Uh, there is kind of the Gus Malzahn connection. That is true. coached under him. That's true. Um, yeah. There's something know. appealing to me about a guy that hasn't made it yet and, you know, ha- hasn't been super successful at a big time program yet and mm-hmm. wants to. And uh, I think that's why I'm so attracted to, and I, I was this way in, with with like uh, with head coaching searches too, I, I'm just always attracted to the young up and comer with a lot of energy, like Coach Drinkwitz, who wants to prove himself at the next level. I think there's always there's just a lot of appeal to that, at least for me personally. Makes sense. You ready to talk about basketball? I'm ready. Okay, we'll start off with a win. Missouri went to Bud Walton Arena in Arkansas and beat. The Razorbacks, 81 to 68. Feels like a lifetime ago. Just as we predicted. Yeah, that was that was kind of wild. I mean, Arkansas couldn't make a single shot. Tillman, Jeremiah Tillman had the uh, career day. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Vanover. Is that his <laughs> yeah, name? Yes. Just went over. If you had no idea, if you'd never watched Arkansas before, you'd be like, who is this guy? Yeah. Like, I, th- I thought it was Chet Holmgren for a second. <laughs> but <laughs> Who is this 7-3 kind of goofy-looking dude just throwing? He was like 0 for 9 yeah. or something. I mean, you probably like got 0 for 5 from, from 3, three. I think. Yeah, like he was just bricking everything, and uh, I actually think he's a pretty decent yeah. three-point shooter normally. Well, yeah, there's a reason he's taking 5. Exactly. So he can usually make a, a couple well, of who is blocking his shot. Yeah, nobody. nobody. Right. Yeah. He could just shoot it over everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, nobody on Arkansas could get anything going on off- offensively. That um, was really bizarre. They were just getting shut out at the rim. Uh, couldn't make layups. Yeah. And they didn't really try to shoot from deep that much, except for uh, Mr. Vanover. 
Am I saying is that his name? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Desi Sills was completely a non-factor in this game, which was kind of shocking. Yeah. Over four from three. Moses Moody was the only player that really could do much on offense. Um, he's really good. But even him, he was zero for seven on two pointers. All all of his scoring came from threes or the the free throw line. I saw a uh, post game interview with uh, what's his face. Their coach, what's his name? Mm, Arkansas coach, Muscleman. A Muscleman, and he was just—he got ejected. He was freaking out, yeah. and honestly, justifiably so, probably because you. Well, first of all, you know who your players are, and they probably don't normally play this bad. Yeah, and they, I, I feel like that's normally their strength is is offensively. They're, mm-hmm. they're normally a kind of a juggernaut, and they come out shooting like twenty something percent and missing like what what seemed like five hundred layups. Yeah. Uh, that was probably a really uh, aggravating experience for him. Yeah. The two-point shooting for Arkansas, 28%. <laughs> it's abysmal. Uh, and Missouri was at 59.4. That's different. That'll win you a game. And Missouri shot 39 free throws. And didn't even shoot very well, at least not at the, be- the, not not at the uh, first half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah 72% rounding up. Uh, Arkansas got to the line plenty, though. 34 attempts for them. Um, Missouri dominated the boards. Um, still turned the ball over 21 times. Not ideal. But one thing that I liked out of Missouri in this one was they were really pushing the pace. Um, this ended up getting... There ended up being 80, 80 possessions in this game, mm-hmm. which is four more than the previous high against Illinois on the season. And... Uh, Missouri was pushing it after misses mostly because Arkansas missed a lot of shots, um, but they were pushing it after makes and really just getting down the floor. And I think, you know, your average Eric Musselman team, they don't have any problem, you know, running and having a lot of possessions. That's what in they want to do, yeah. So it was interesting to see Missouri kind of beat Arkansas at their own game, um, but on honestly, Missouri caught Arkansas just on a terrible day. Yeah. They just couldn't make anything. Yeah, I, th- I think we were very fortunate that Arkansas shot so poorly. And I I do think that Jeremiah Tillman may have, you know, kind of turned a corner a little bit. I think he's been playing pretty well this year. And he's he's really not dealing with the foul issues that he used to deal with. But, I mean, this was yeah. uh, some kind of career game for him, yeah, though. He did I mean, whatever he wanted all he, game. He really did. And they, they were missing a player that normally may have challenged Tillman a little bit more. Uh, but... As Conzo Martin put in his post-game interview, he's he's not feeling sorry for anybody with injuries. Right. Yeah. He's dealt with a little bit of that. Um. So that was a good game. That was fun. And that's and that's had me thinking we're gonna challenge for the number one seed in the SEC again. Uh, w- before you drop the bad news, yeah. I, d- I did look up one stat about Bud Walton Arena because mm. I was like, well, we never win here. Right. I, like, literally never. Yeah. And um, so I looked up in the last 10 years um, how well they have been playing at Bud Walton Arena, if I can find it. I tweet too much. Justin Smith was the player for Arkansas that was out. That's one of their uh, front court guys that uh, probably would have made some difference, but yeah. Uh, in the last ten seasons, uh, including this year, um, Arkansas is 142 and 29 at Bud Walton Arena. I should have looked up what that winning percentage is. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's very good. Uh, Mizzou has only won one game, one other game there since 1993, and that was the 2014 season, which was uh, 
vacated later. Mm. But uh, that is a that's just something you, you don't see very often as, as winning on the road at Arkansas and just convincingly. Yeah, I mean, just kind of stomped them. I would be interested to see some kind of data on. And we've probably talked about this a little bit, but uh, just how much the home court advantage uh, is a non-factor this year with no fans or very few fans. Uh, I, it's got to be a less of a of a deal this this season than well, it normally is. Anecdotally, I mean, we've seen in the SEC so far a bunch of home teams going down. Yeah, in fact, right after Missouri uh, won this game, uh, at that point in the in the very young SEC season. Home teams were 0-5. Yeah. Uh, Tennessee, after destroying Missouri, uh, dropped a home game to Alabama, which Alabama has really been rising up the, the rankings lately. Yeah. They're going to look like a, a tough team to beat in the SEC. Yeah, that was, that was still a pretty surprising outcome, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, Tennessee looked unbeatable. Yeah, they really did. And probably that was just because Missouri matches up terribly with them. If Missouri shot the three ball better, then well, maybe we're looking at a different kind of game. But the fact that Missouri couldn't shoot and they couldn't score inside, obviously, because mm-hmm. Tennessee just packed the paint, basically. We already talked about that game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we're beating around the bush on talking about this Mississippi State game. Well, let me uh, – I got, I got a list here for you. Okay, let's hear it. West Virginia, Florida, Arkansas. Ole Miss, LSU, Xavier, Charleston Southern, and now Mississippi State. These uh, opponents from Missouri all have something in common, and uh, it's basically a gut-wrenching loss when Missouri absolutely 100% should have won the game, and it's inexplicable how it ended in a loss now some of these more so than others and in different ways so like against west virginia you're looking at what like an 18 point lead in the second half that just goes up in flames charleston southern you got a completely overmatched opponent that you have a second half lead on and then you just somehow let it slip away but now we get to add mississippi state and that's uh, all since Conzo Martin has taken over as head coach. We talked about uh, last week on this podcast, we talked about brutal ways <laughs> to lose a game and maybe kind of like ranked in our minds like what's uh, what's the worst way to lose. And this really, it, it doesn't get a whole lot worse than this. And uh, this like Jekyll and Hyde style of basketball where it's just like incredible play and then just explain unexplainable horrible play in the same game or even in the same week is weird but in the same game like this yeah. was truly like the next level like wow Mizzou you found the next the next weird way to lose you re- really did it congratulations okay this was truly dumbfounding and I saw some people uh after the game saying that they thought well <sighs> you know we always say we don't like to harp on the uh announcing too much yet that always comes before we harp on the announcing and say how terrible it was. Uh, Fish, you know, we call him Fish. Uh, he said that Mississippi State was a tournament team when they were wrapping up this victory against Missouri. And no, they're not. 
I, I don't know what I else can, to say. I can tell you what they are. They're, <laughs> they're tired. They're fatigued. They're very fatigued. And every mistake they ever made in this game was because they went to overtime a few days ago. Yeah, double overtime against Kentucky like uh, three days prior. Yes. And like they, they hadn't slept since or something. And they came back and won this game despite their fatigue. It's uh, really incredible. Dunks were turned into layups for them because of their fatigue. <laughs> uh, yeah, what what on earth was that color commentating? That, the, that was awful. The, and um, I've noticed that with him before where, yeah. like, it honestly, nothing is happening in this game because Missouri's doing a good job. Yeah. In previous games with him. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's not real uh, a very he's not a fan of Missouri, I don't think. And uh, like, of course, Tom Hart and John Sunvold were calling the game like on TV right yes. before Missouri, and it's like, please, why? Yeah. And I actually, they can't call Missouri games. Though. Yeah, I try to when when they're on the call for Missouri, I try to notice if they're doing that for Missouri, but and maybe maybe a little bit it's hard not it, i feel like it's probably hard for sunvold to not just know more about the tigers than other teams sure but he consistently throws in bits of information and maybe this is just flying under the radar for me because i don't know maybe he's off on some of the, these little stats he throws out but he's sprinkling in these nuggets of information that just show that he's watched this team play before this mm-hmm. season he knows the backstories of the players and stuff like that yeah do you think he knows uh <laughs> Do you think he knows Connor Bazelak ran the wishbone in high school? <laughs> he, pr- he probably does. Um, oh, my gosh. Sorry, I just got Do you think he track. knows how to say Torrance Watson? Probably. Instead of Terrence? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I bet he does. Uh, let's, talk, let's talk about what happened on the floor. Um, I do think the uh, other announcer yes. described it quite well that – Mississippi State, whatever their arena is called, and you might as well just call it the cowbell, the house of horrors. Yes. Uh, he literally used that term. I was like, well, that's pretty much spot on. Like Missouri cannot win in that building. Yeah, yeah. Last year they got trounced. They lost. They scored forty-five points. Yeah. Last year at, at Mississippi State, and they almost had forty-five at halftime <laughs> of this game. Yeah. Um, Missouri in this first half was amazing just making plays one turnover in the first half um that's unbelievable 50 percent shooting uh three for nine from three tillman it was spread out tillman had eight points um mark smith was getting involved with seven drew smith had five pinson had six pinson had that awesome play where he was like a little bit too much under the basket Mm -hmm. like on a kind of an outlet pass or something so he just kind of behind the back passes to Tillman for the for the dunk I mean they they looked so confident they're playing so freely yeah the defense was incredible they turned over Mississippi State eight times Um, Mississippi State was shooting 34 percent from the field Um, they were just shutting them down Uh, Pinson had an incredible first half six points and five assists one turnover Two rebounds. Well, the key was Mississippi State was fatigued in the first half. Yeah, and they they, they got they to rest drank, up at halftime. They drank the juice. Yeah, they got their uh, they got some time. Pedialyte in them. <laughs> Get those electrolytes going. This is not a sponsor. No. Oh man. <laughs> this. I just want to pretend like it didn't happen. What I mean, what what did happen? Like what what's going on? Like what what did the, what was said? 
in the locker room at halftime was Conzo Martin like, hey, good job, boys. We don't we won't need to score again. Pack it in. Nobody get hurt. What, what on home. earth like was the was the message at halftime of this game? You couldn't. There, there's not a message physically possible to have been said that would cause this second half to happen. <laughs> if he said, you know what, guys, you got it in the bag. That wouldn't be enough in my mind to play so poorly in the second half. Because you could at least just like go through the motions and not just completely squander everything. I don't know. I keep thinking of something that would be worse than that, but I really shouldn't. <laughs> um, Let me tell you what happened in the second half. Uh, Mississippi State shot 68% from the field while only attempting two three-pointers. They also shot 13 free throws. And Missouri, conversely, shot 40%. They decided to shoot another nine three-pointers in the second half, but only made two of them. And do you know how many free throws Missouri shot in the second half? Uh, probably like less than five. They shot zero. They were they Mississippi State was only called for three fouls. They're yeah. a they're a man to man defense. How do they No shooting fouls. Zero free throw attempts for Missouri in the second half. That six free throw attempts on the game. Six for six. They were perfect. That well that's how Missouri is gonna win, first of all, is how they have to get fouled and get to the line. That's what they do well. Yeah. And they Oh man. Missouri I, got out rebounded in the second half eighteen to eight. And instead of getting to the line, they just had Mitchell Smith shoot 15 three-pointers, three which I don't think he made a single one. He, how only, how shot many one, did he, he only shot one three in the second half. How many did he actually shoot for the game, like five? Uh, for the game, he shot four. I would love for Mitchell Smith to knock down some threes, stretch the floor, and he's done it in the past. But I would take one out of four in that game. Uh, yeah. What, how, yeah. How many three attempts is too many? For him? Yeah. Four. Four. Four is too many. Yeah. I agree. If you take three and haven't made one yet, no more. I'm fine with that. Unless make, it's like make, into the shot clock. Just enough to make him guard you. Like yes. prove you can prove you're gonna shoot it when you get the ball there. Yep. And that's really all you need to do. Just a couple times at most, please. That almost you can almost say that about any Missouri player, really. Really, at this point. Um I think Drew Smith should should shoot if he makes one then he should keep shooting until he figures out if he's on or off that I night i agree i i do i i do wonder what's going on with drew i feel like he's really struggled um recently and uh he's really struggled with fouls mm -hmm. I, I feel like he's been he's been almost too active and has and kind of getting called for some ticky tack, kind of reaching fouls. A little bit too much sometimes. I th I feel like he fouled, or well, he was called for a foul in a pretty important play in this game that kind of just felt like it sucked the life out of Missouri, and the game was almost over at this point when he fouled the the guy on the three point shot. Mm -hmm. And did he make the shot too? Or did, no, but he, he got three free throws. But yeah, still, I mean, that was just that was suffocating. Yeah, that was right in the section of the game where it was really back and forth. Um, Mississippi State had come all the way back, taken the lead. Missouri had regained the lead, and it was like right in this crucial moment. Yeah. 
And I, I, and I don't think that was a good call. I think no, the I, Mississippi State player sold it a little bit. And I think oh yeah. the Mississippi State player was blocking the ref from actually seeing where this contact would have happened. Right. Um, kind of like on the shooter's right side. So, and maybe there was. We never actually saw a great replay of it because it cut away before the potential mm-hmm. contact. But and I don't you, know. you, you can like also tell when Tillman wants to slip back into his old self where he gets frustrated and mm-hmm. wants to like set a pick too like hard or too prominently i think he got called for two different offensive fouls in this game where you set a pick too hard yeah one and of it those was, was really pretty, obvious pretty, one one of them was obvious one of them was pretty questionable yeah um but i don't i don't know what you do about dj stewart and uh iverson molinar doing what they did in the second half well i mean when's the last like, time you saw that many mid-range shots attempted much right. less made yeah and contested yeah i mean i'm i'm in the during the play i'm watching and i'm and i'm saying to myself good defense yeah. and then he just drains it yeah these fadeaway like jumpers. over the top of outstretched you know seven foot mitchell smith that was really bizarre and that almost had to have been how like arkansas felt against us where it was just like i don't know what else to do here we're just missing bunnies uh it was the except it was the opposite where i don't know i don't know how you stop this i don't know they're just going to make these shots, I guess. We just got to hope they, they cool off. That was pretty much where Missouri was, and the fact that they just never did, I don't know, just kind of took the air out of us, I think. Yeah, Molinar was 6 for 10 in the second half, and DJ Stewart was 8 for 10 in the second half. Yeah, Molinar was very quiet in the first half. I don't know that he scored more than a few points, mm-hmm. but just that that was really bizarre to watch. Just, Missouri turned the ball over seven times after only turning it over once in the first half. Yeah, you, you, you really do almost kind of see Missouri whenever they get, uh, at least in this game, when they got tested a little bit and started getting frustrated, kind of like slipping back into uh, maybe the way they played a year or two ago where they just weren't really running good offense, making poor decisions, throwing is, up bad shots. It is so bizarre to see that when we saw the best offense we'd seen all season in the first half. They were the ball movement on some of these plays that ended with dunks or, um, you know, like a like a picket layup, a Mitchell Smith layup at the end of a play where the ball just rotates around, and it was perfection. It was why I love to watch basketball. Mm-hmm. Was is what was happening in the first half, yeah. and then literally none, none of it in the second half. New, completely different team. They were just fatigued. <laughs> Missouri was fatigued, I guess. They like they just exerted so much, you know, quality energy in the first half that yeah, they just didn't have any left. This just was a uh, this was one of the weirder games I think I've watched in a while, and uh, it's frustrating. These are the games that you have to win if you want to compete at the top of the league. You have to win games on the road against teams that aren't very good, and for whatever reason. Missouri cannot beat Mississippi State on the road. They really struggle with Mississippi State no matter where they're playing. They just have not played well against them since they've joined the SEC. And uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just happy to get that game out of the way. Um, but it's really frustrating considering how close the, the standings are going to be at the end of the year. That's just a game you got to have. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else worth talking about with this one? I don't know. I'm tired of the roller coaster, man. I'm tired of like 
kind of like giving this team my trust and then them betraying me. It just feels like it happens over and over and over. So uh, it, the roller coaster is very plainly spelled out when you look at their Ken Palm rating in the last three weeks. They were at 34 before the Bradley game, didn't perform well, dropped to 40 before Tennessee. Then didn't perform well, dropped to 50 after Tennessee. Then beat Arkansas, jumped back up to 40, and now heading the other direction back to 49 after losing to Mississippi State. Um, when you break it down a little bit further, they're 65th in the country on offensive efficiency, 29th on defense. And I should have said this last week um, before every SEC team had played multiple games. That 65th in the country on offense, um, Missouri's been in that in that position before, kind of early in the conference season. But then there's a telling stat. If you just click a button on Kim Palm, you see that they are 13th in offensive efficiency in the SEC, second from last, and only seventh on defense. And this this we've seen this multiple times now under Conzo Martin, where these metrics look really good when you're looking at you know the national the scale of you know all the teams in the nation and then sec play comes and it's like is a top 70 team on offense in the country really 13th in the conference in offense it just doesn't seem to add up but that's where we are thank goodness missouri got those quality wins in non-conference like their resume is incredible still it's literally like top three in the country they they're four and one and quarter and one yes. games i think we are in for a roller coaster of an sec season and luckily for missouri they notch those huge wins in the non-conference because i think they're they'll have to lose a lot of games to not make an ncaa tournament at this I point agree. they would I have mean, to have like a negative record in the conference i think even then i think eight and ten maybe gets you in as like you know a real bubble team depending on yes. how the rest of the sec is perceived well and depending on who you lose and to, that. you know if you drop i mean what the worst game left on missouri schedule is at home against vanderbilt um in less than a week yeah so i just think that this team doesn't really still is just so inconsistent and so that's going to create these weird wins where like how did we win that and those weird losses where we're wondering how we lost and the just the the lack of three-point shooting it just anything can happen in any game and i mean i mean we're, we're still shooting what under 30 percent on the season from three-point shooting i mean we have to be pl- 27.3 percent that's awful 311th i was gonna say that has to be pl- over 300 in yeah. ken bomb out of 340 I, don't, I just don't know what else you do at this point. I mean, put Torrance Watson out there and hope he makes a few. I, I really don't know. And then he's a liability on defense. Yeah, so. and I don't see how you can expect him to just get into a rhythm when he's playing, you know, six minutes a game. Yeah. Just giving guys a rest here and there. Yeah. You can't really expect to throw him out there and just let him shoot a bunch of shots. Yeah, I think I'm just going to have to, at this point, be satisfied with just understanding there's going to be or it's going to be a roller coaster there's no way to predict what's going to happen in almost any game we play well and it seems like the team when you're looking at like a whole season you're looking at the season as a whole this team has such a clear ceiling 
yeah. because of the shooting woes, you just can't expect them to have an immaculate record at the end of the season when you have such a glaring weakness. Even though they'll look good in a game and they can play with just about anybody because their defense is solid. Um, and I think their I think their ranking in conference defense will end up better than seventh because they have played Tennessee and Arkansas already. Um, but let's talk about their upcoming games. So they play at home against LSU and then at home against Vanderbilt. So LSU is 33rd in Ken Palm, uh, the number five offense in the country, number 123 on defense, uh, first obviously in the SEC in offense, eighth in defense. They're seven and two. They have losses to St. Louis and Florida and top 100 wins in conference now over Texas A&M and Georgia. That Georgia game was in overtime. And uh, they've got Cam Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, former, we're, we're familiar with him, former Bass Pro Tournament of Champions MVP. He is one of the best players in the country. He's going to be a lottery pick. He is incredible. He uses, he's one of the top guys in the SEC as far as possessions used. He gets to the free throw line. He doesn't turn the ball over. He plays great defense. He's one of the top steal guys in the in the conference. He converts at the rim. He's a capable three-point shooter, though that's not a strong suit, although he can just go off. He was like 5 for 10 uh, shooting the three in a game earlier this season. I don't think it's a stretch to say he's the best player, the best individual player Missouri will play this season. Yeah, I mean, again, this is a game where it's going to be really difficult to predict what's going to happen because I think a lot of it falls on what Cam Thomas does in the game. And I think that Drew, if they just put Drew on him and see what happens, I think that might be the best thing they can do. Um, Although you may end up with a bunch of fouls. That's, that is true. So I don't know. It's going to be really important for uh, to be careful with the reach-ins. Hopefully, I don't know. I was going to say hopefully the game is not officiated tightly, but that's typically a good thing for Missouri. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you, usually Missouri can outshoot teams at the free throw line. It, yeah. If if they're able to contain Cam Thomas, I think this is a 15-point win. And I I, def, I think they're absolutely capable of, of doing that, but uh, they cannot relax like they did in this Mississippi State game because this LSU team will blow up yeah. uh, in offensive production if you, if you let him slip. Yeah, and they've got guys we've seen before in Trenton Watford, uh, Darius Days, Javante Smart. So they've got guys that have been around the block and um, know what it's like to play in the SEC. And then you just bring in uh, a freshman like Thomas who could be amazing for any team. He could probably easily be fairly easily be playing in the NBA this year and contributing to a professional team. Mm-hmm. Man. I don't know. This is... They they have to win this game at home. They have to beat LSU. You L- think so? Yes, they do. I, if they want to, if if they if they're, I'm going to talk about. I'm going to sneak a broken record saying this. But, Let's hear it. I mean, if they want to finish top four, this is the game non-negotiable. They have to win this game. And you know, I think LSU is super talented, but I really see them as kind of a middle of the road SEC team this year. SEC team this year and. I know home home court advantage maybe isn't what it is in a normal year, but you still got to figure out a way to pull this out. You think Missouri does it? I think they win 
80 to 76. And hopefully Konzo teaches him a lesson about letting up about giving up mid-range fadeaway jumpers. <laughs> I I don't know if there's a lesson to be learned there. I mean, you, uh, you, usually if a team decides they're going to do that, it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah go right ahead. Yeah, we'll take be it. Our guest. Uh, I think Missouri loses this game, and I think it's another heartbreaker, and they lose it 79 to 76. Hope you're wrong. Oh, almost like reverse of your score, basically. Wow. Uh, But then Missouri gets to host Vanderbilt. Speaking of games, they should win. Yeah. So Vanderbilt, they're ranked 136th in Kempom, 126 on offense, 153 on defense, 8 in the SEC in offense, 14th on defense. That must uh, be Kentucky. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they did. The power that be. That be. Yeah. Uh, very close loss to Kentucky at Rubber Arena. Um, I think they should have won that game. They yeah. had it. They were right there. I mean, just a few mistakes late. Yeah. Uh, their best win of the season came against number 170, Valparaiso. Um, looking at their metrics and stuff and their stats, they're not really terrible at anything. They're not really great at anything either, though. They're pretty solid in rebounding. And um, they've got Scottie Pippen Jr., who is one of the best players in the SEC. Didn't he, like, want to be called Scott Pippen, or he was extremely opposed to it? Take it away. Well, if I remember correctly, and I don't know that I do, but I think his name is spelled differently. Yeah. And his name is actually Scotty, and they're not the real. They're both the real. But Father Scotty Pippen, I think, didn't want to be called Scott, so people just called him Scotty but spelled differently yeah so scotty pippen jr his name is spelled s-c-o-t-t-y scotty pippen senior his name is actually spelled s-c-o-t-t-y but he changed it he always spelled it i-e because he didn't want people to call him scott oh that that's what it was okay yeah interesting so well, do you think we'll get like a Scotty Pippen Senior cam on this game? On this uh, on this game? Remember last year, or yeah. they kept they had like a camera just like permanently think, on his face. You and think he, he comes to Missouri Arena? They don't really show the crowd that much. That's true. Um, he looked like he was asleep the whole game last year. Yeah. Um, this kid's good. Yeah, he's extremely good. Uh, he almost he he kind of like was the only reason can, they were in the game against Kentucky at some points, but then also had a couple plays late where he just kind of threw it away yeah but obviously you're like having to every single possession is crucial in a game like that right and he's kind of under a microscope in that situation yeah he's basketball royalty he better be good yeah uh i don't honestly i don't think many people thought he would be as good as he is um in college um but uh they kind of have I was watching the Kentucky game, and this trio of sophomores uh, stood out to me. Obviously, Scottie Pippen and uh, Dylan DeSue and Jordan Wright. Um, DeSue is uh, 6'9 and very mobile, 
and can step out to a mid-range shot, so I think he might give Tillman some trouble, but I also think Tillman should have a pretty clear advantage when Missouri's on offense. So if they really want to work the ball through DeSue, um, don't help off of Scottie Pippen, yeah. but maybe help off of a couple of other of these um, guys that don't shoot it quite as well from three, and maybe you've got something going, and I think I would be surprised if Vanderbilt tries to play Tillman straight up. I think they'll send a double team pretty much constantly. But I really think this could be another game where Tillman can kind of have his way inside because mm-hmm. they do have a more traditional big that maybe will, will come in from time to time. But depending on the matchups, I could see Tillman you know, being successful on offense. I don't know why you wouldn't double Tillman because that forces him to pass out of the double to yeah. a wide open three, which is probably exactly what you want if you're playing against Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I also think we'll see some small lineups from Missouri in this game. Maybe... I hope that we'll have an opportunity to maybe experiment with a couple different lineups that can generate some offense because it definitely seems like Missouri has spells or entire halves where just nothing can go right. Um, I don't know. I think I'm over hoping that anybody on this team will find a consistent outside stroke. So I guess, I don't know, that is what it is for the rest of the season. But I feel sorry for whoever gets that one game against us this year where we shoot like 80% from three, like Florida last year. <laughs> I feel sorry for whoever that's going to be because it'll probably happen like one time where we just shoot lights out. Yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't quite happened yet. I mean, early on, like the Oregon game, they shot 62% from two. It's pretty nuts. Um, but still less than 30% from three. So, yeah, somebody, uh, it'll probably be like, it'll probably be TCU because, you know, then it won't matter to the SEC standings. That'll be the game that we just, like, go off. Yeah. Mark Smith will make five threes. Um, Surely they beat Vanderbilt at home. Uh, Surely it's by double digits. Surely they get the offense going and uh, take advantage of the worst defense in the SEC. So nothing the, is sure with this team. It's a sure thing. Book it Missouri by 12, 81 to whatever that is, minus 12. 69. Thank you. Nice. And I'm going to predict a little bit closer game, uh, a little bit lower scoring. I'm going to predict 69 to 67 Mizzou. That's a lot lower scoring. That's that's 12 points lower by this by the winning team than I projected. That's correct. Um, so pessimistically, uh, Missouri loses to LSU, but still beats Vanderbilt. Uh, they'd be sitting at two and three in conference play, having already played Tennessee and Arkansas and LSU. Um, there's a stretch there with, uh, Vanderbilt, Texas A&M on the road, then back home against South Carolina, where I think they can recover from a loss to LSU. If they were to lose to LSU and bounce back with a little three-game winning streak, then they'd have some momentum heading uh, to Knoxville to play Tennessee. And there's a couple other spots, honestly, where I could see them winning 
three or four games in a row later on in the season. But just to expect any kind of consistency from this team at this point seems like a fool's errand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, making like a prediction or previewing uh, a game and trying to like make sense of what Missouri's going to do, just that's impossible at this point. Unless you just want to predict, if you could like go place a bet that Missouri is going to shoot worse than there you go. Uh, you know, like that's the thirty-five percent from three in a game. Yeah, poor three-point shooting. Every that's, single game the rest of the year, you will make the money. That's the only certainty that Missouri will that Missouri has is poor three-point shooting. Could probably bet on turnovers too. Yeah, are we? We're about to get abducted that by was aliens. Weird. Sub, the airplane landing outside. <laughs> Uh, Probably nobody heard the noise and they're wondering what we're talking about. Oh, well. I might have to turn that up for them so they can really hear it. <laughs> turn up strange noises <laughs> in the background. Uh, anything else? Heck, that covers of, heck of an episode. Lots really. to talk about. Man, Mizzou sports. That's a fun time. Mizzou sports. That's what we talk about. I still I still like talking about it. That, that Mississippi State game was one of the most depressing things I've ever experienced in my life, and I couldn't wait to come talk to you. I know. Well, that's the it. thing. It's like, well, we have more to talk about in losses probably because we're emotional and sad about it. This, this, I was bummed. This team's still going to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they are. They are. That's that's going to happen. They'll have to play so bad. Did you see the uh, Jerry Palm, uh, like – early early like bracketology where we were a three seed playing norfolk state <laughs> that 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 image cursed the rest of the season like that screenshot, we have, we're on one since that yeah. since that that screenshot that was you know being passed around you know the universe said can't let that happen yeah, again. come on jerry so now Missouri's i think he even acknowledged it he's like oh, i should have been more sensitive to that i shouldn't have done that yeah right he literally did that just for just for the engagement probably that's a good idea yeah controversy all right are we done here i certainly would think so all right um you can find this podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. we're on twitter and instagram at missouri sports pod and you can email us at missouri sports pod at gmail.com you can find t-shirts and stickers on our website missouri sports pod.bigcartel.com thank you everyone for listening we will see you next week after two wins.